up, internet. Repping a murderous, interdimensional, shape-shifting criminal is a bad look. My name is Matthew Kroll, and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the Patrick H. Willems film, Night of the Coconut. And Topam fam, it is my pleasure to have back on the show the guest who created this wonderful film and is also the guest who we had on the longest episode of this podcast and the director of today's phenomenal film we're talking about. Oh, and also a very big lover of fat stacks of cheddar, Mr. Patrick H. Willems. Hello, sir. Matt, hey, how's it going? <laughs> good. It's, it's good to be here. But, but by the way, I'm assuming the way this works is uh, because... I was the guest on your longest episode ever. Sure. Therefore, like, my reward is you have to do a whole episode about my, my movie. If you want to think of it that way to to humble the experience somewhat, sure. However, comma, but I was lucky enough to uh, attend the premiere of this film. And actually, everyone at home, by the time this drops, you will be able to watch this film yourself over on Nebula. We'll talk about how that happens later on in the in the episode. Is this episode just a commercial for a streaming platform that Matt and I are actively involved with? Maybe. Maybe. But you know what? We've I've done nearly 400 episodes of this goddamn show, and I'll talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. So there we go. Um, and no, the the... the the, the the reason why we are going to discuss this film, your journey to it, and, and all things, uh, I guess, coconuts, is because it was a really fucking good time, and I want to talk about... I don't get to talk to people that I enjoy hanging out with and discussing films with that have also made a film that I then get to discuss with them. Like, there's a lot of convergence here yeah. that I'm really, really psyched for. Also, side note, everybody... Shahir's not here. Uh, <laughs> should have brought that up beforehand. She, he is, he's off back in New Zealand handling some business. I will um, say also, since the last time I was on this this podcast, I have finally met Shahir in person, and that man is much taller than I realized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was also side note, lucky enough. I think we talked about this in the RRR episode, which is two episodes back, one episode back from this. I don't quite remember. So you're uh, covering all the hits, exactly. You know, RRR, yeah. Night of the Coconut. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all cinema. Um, the so yes, Shahir will uh, be catching this over on the Nebula, uh, the Nebula streaming service once it drops. He'll see it. Uh, he'll see the version where I fixed the two technical glitches that were in the version you saw, Matt. Well. Listen, I got to see I got to see it the first time. We uh, there was a wonderful screening over at the uh, IFC Center in Manhattan, and uh, I, we did a movie premiere. It was fucking cool. Um, and it's, I'm sorry, I'm going to be gushing a little bit on this episode, everybody. So buckle the fuck up. Um, but the 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 overall experience of this was just something so lovely. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll get into it. One thing I will say before we begin, I have to do an email. Because it actually does, this is an email from uh, a listener, Kellen. Hi, Kellen. Uh, it doesn't have to do specifically with Night of the Coconut, but it does have to do with multiverses. So I'd like to pick your brain on that before we before we jump in. Bring it on. What does Kellen have to say? Kellen writes in, I've been really enjoying the discussions and insights of recent episodes lately. Oh, thanks, Kellen. Uh, but I think the thing that sticks out to me is the number of multiverse and multiverse-adjacent films with meta-narratives that, we're, that uh, we've been reviewing lately and we are getting a lot of. With the Hollywood blockbuster reaching a pinnacle of sorts with like the Avengers movies with sort of complexities in that way, it seems like the natural place for studios to go to go bigger and better for crossovers, you know, meta stories, etc. While the idea is refreshing and exciting, 
um, back in films like even Wreck-It Ralph or Into the Spider-Verse. But now there's like sort of everything is kind of uh, – he goes off and uh, they list a bunch of different metaverse movies. Um, it's starting to make metaverse uh, stories feel more regular. Thankfully, things like everywhere, all, uh, everything everywhere all at once and even Chippendale are using that type of story in the right way. Unfortunately, I think executives abusing an IP bank for commercial reasons is going to happen way more than the smart, funny stories uh, from the heart that happen to give into the multiverse uh, narrative. Have you guys noticed this? Any thoughts on the trend, etc.? Thanks so much, Kellen. Um, spoiler alert, Night of the Coconut does have a multiversal element to it. It does. Um, what are your thoughts on the overall idea of films sort of diving into having having just made one? Uh, the, sort of is there a, is there a range of sort of how do you feel about the the trend? I guess it's funny because I didn't see this coming, and and some of the stuff that that Kellen brings up in this email, I feel like there's different components to it because there is uh, like the multiverses that my movie uh and everything everywhere all at once and doctor strange and the multiverse of madness and and uh and spider-man no way home and previously a couple years or i don't know a few years back uh spider-man into the spider-verse yep. the ones that those deal with all all of these things deal with very kind of basically the like comic booky multiverse which is there's a lot of parallel universes often uh, similar to each other, but with like, like specific differences. Yeah. Like, oh, this the, all the same people, but it's like in this one, I don't know because of like a you know a butterfly effect type thing. Like one thing went differently, and then they they diverged that way. Um, and then there's the, the separate kind of I guess like a you know IP mashup movie. Uh, whether it's Wreck It Ralph or Chippendale or 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 things like that. Yeah. Uh, which do, you know, are set in one consistent universe, uh, like are not technically sci-fi movies. Yeah, I think we're conflating, or at least in this discussion, uh, through the discussion, uh, through what Kellen was saying is like, there's sort of the IP management, which I think because multiversal, the term multiverse is kind of neat now. Right. People are sort of wedging that into that thing, but it's not exactly what the multiverse is. It's That's not, IP management. Right. But but at the same time, even though like the story mechanics are a little bit different, uh, like multiverse versus other things, at the end of the day, if you look at like, uh, like Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm is not that different than, like, the Lego movie of things from different franchises that you wouldn't think would normally meet, yeah. meet. And uh, and that's pretty much it. And that's that's a whole discussion there. Um, I, I mean, the thing that... And, and really, that goes back, like... You can trace that to, back to, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit yep. and, uh, and, and more stuff from there. But I do think, in terms of the multiverse... Um, a thing that I've actually been thinking about is some some weird ripple effects in terms of uh, I, I guess the 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 general public's like conception of multiverses and storytelling, uh, because I think kind of the beginning of like this modern era of this mm-hmm. can real at, at least in terms of giving the general public like the vocabulary for this stuff, a lot of it just stems from of all people. Dan Harmon. Yeah. Because there's this the season three episode of Community, Remedial Chaos Theory, which is the, the darkest timeline episode that has like the branching, 
you know, the branching timelines that show what happens if, like, you know, slightly different choices, or, or if, like, what is it, like, like um, a dice is rolled and it goes different ways. To see who, pick up, who picks up the pizza exactly. or goes to the door or something? But, yeah, but that was the one that, like, popularized terms like, you know, Darkest Timeline and stuff like that. And then, of course, that episode is written by Chris McKenna, who goes on to be the co-writer of all three MCU Spider-Man movies, including No Way Home. Right. And then you have the whole thing of, like, Dan Harmon goes off and does Rick and Morty, which is, like, full of multiverse shenanigans, and that show is actually a, becomes much more popular with, like, the general public than Community was. Yep. And, uh, and so then you've got that happening, and, um, and then, of course, you just have the fact that uh, Marvel really likes hiring people who worked on Rick and Morty to write their things, whether it's Michael Waldron, who was a Rick and Morty writer who wrote Loki and the new Doctor Strange. Uh, the next Ant-Man movie is written by Jeff Loveness, who uh, was a Rick and Morty writer. And it's like, this is kind of, uh, it's really like, like Dan Harmon starts this stuff and then the biggest movie studio in the world comes in and is like, aha, we like that. Let's pluck those things out and then put them in our like way bigger movies that everyone in the world sees. And then of course, there's just the thing of a, uh, uh, Spider Verse was a very very big hit, and um, and uh, won an Oscar, and you know, and really like that happened before Marvel did a multiverse because Marvel's very good at like seeing what is working elsewhere and being <laughs> yeah. like, yes, uh, oh that people already like that, cool, we'll do that too. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is to tie my own thing into this, uh, because i I will say, as someone who made a movie involving a multiverse that has an inanimate object with googly eyes on it, <laughs> I almost had a heart attack when the trailer for everything everywhere all at once came out and was like, "What the fuck is going on yeah how did did they like hack my no not, not even hack my brain, but how did this happen and to be very clear, that movie was in production when I was starting off uh my like my like season right. charl project thing on 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 youtube uh in no way am i saying uh the daniels um <laughs> stole any ideas no. because they didn't this is just a, a strange convergence of ideas but what i will say is um for myself deciding to you know introduce a multiverse into stories that i was telling mm -hmm. it really and and i it, it wouldn't surprise me if this is what happened with other people as well it really just came from the fact that um multiverses have always been a really big part of superhero comics yeah it's funnily enough it's like uh in movies now marvel got there first but in comics the multiverse has always played a much bigger role in DC comics. Yeah, because they've reset it. Mul I mean, but all of them have reset it multiple times. But, but like, like s since like the the fifties, yeah, like uh, you had like the Flash of two Earths and stuff like that. You had like the JSA on a different Earth, Earth and the JLA, and that was all happening before like before most of Marvel comics were created. Yeah, and uh, that's always been a thing. You've got Crisis on Infinite Earths and, and all that kind of thing. And um and so I've just been reading comic books my whole life, so I'm just used to this concept, and uh, and right yeah yeah there's all the like numbers of Earths and all that stuff, and so what happened with me was ever since I'd started putting narrative framing devices in my videos, uh, I'm thinking back to like 2018 or so. Yeah. I always had it in my head where I was like I know some of these 
framing devices for some episodes, those are set in the same continuity, like on the same Earth. And then some of them were maybe one, like, uh, maybe like, there, there's an episode, for instance, from summer 2018, where Jake and Chloe, who are, who usually just play themselves, like my friends in videos, but one where they play studio executives. Right. And I'm like, well, obviously that's on a different Earth where those people became studio execs. And so I knew that, you know, like I had it in my head, like, okay, what is our continuity? How like th these are on different Earths and stuff like that. There is a multiverse here, and I figured at some point down the road, uh, maybe I don't know, as like a Patreon reward, I'll, right. make, I'll make like a ten minute short film that just ties everything together and establishes like, okay, for you fans who've like paid attention, here's how this all fits together into one big continuity, and and I want you to know that like I have thought about this, and I'm I'm trying to like respect your dedication. And um, anyway, it ended up skip skip ahead. It, we, we made a movie. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the comic book thing is super apt because it, whether it's you or the creators of these other films that are dealing with multiverses, they're all kind of coming up in the same age and place where those things like it makes sense chronologically that those people would be in charge of movies now. Right. And they read those. That's actually a really interesting point. So that's I, that makes total sense as to why this is happening in a, in a certain way, because you all grew up on it. it that's the thing. It's like being used to this stuff for our whole lives, but then also the way that uh, popular media has changed where the general public is now just casually like used to way weirder, nerdier concepts yeah. than they used to be. It's like stuff that in the 90s would never get made because studios would be like, this is a bunch of nerd bullshit. No one wants that. Yeah. And, and then you have things like, you know, suddenly... Like every person in America, like knows the like the minutia and lore of Game of Thrones and stuff like that, and like you know, uh, like like regular people are like looking up. Like I heard a rumor that a character named Adam Warlock is going to be in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy Part Three, and I'm going to look up and find out who this like pretty niche like 1970s cosmic Marvel character is. Yeah, like that just happens constantly, and so we can throw these things out. Uh, like like these like storytelling concepts and ideas and uh and the the public is just used to it at yeah. this point and so it's it's kind of so I guess I'm doing this at the right time. Yeah, and it, I don't know. That makes total sense, and I'm glad. I'm thank you, Kellen, for writing in to actually get to get us to this point because I was actually wondering myself like yeah this is happening a lot but it makes a hundred percent sense. So thank you, Kellen, for writing in. All right, now before we dive. Just as deep as we possibly can before we go coconuts, um, and you're you're not going to get sick of me saying that a million times this entire this entire show. I mean, we do have a musical number in the movie in which people sing the word coconuts, and it is delightful. <laughs> um, Patrick, I want to so okay. Let's how do I how do I even start this? I I just got into my my comfortable position. Everybody, I've gotten into my really just sort of chilling position. Also, Matt's holding a glass of wine. That is well, technically we both are. Yeah, but the the um your career trajectory is something. Uh, that sounds weird. Uh, you're laughing, but guess what? You're a guest on a movie podcast about a movie you did. So this is gonna happen now. Buckle up. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Is something that, uh, to be perfectly honest, of I, I am very, very jealous of. It is no, I'm serious because here's the thing. I, I forget if I've, if I've mentioned this to you in passing or if we've talked about it on the show or whatever. 
when I first started making videos, when mm-hmm. I was even, uh, this was uh, right when I was starting MTV and I just sort of uh, uh, got to New York, I had, uh, with, a, with a friend of mine, Stephen Buja, uh, a show called Same Night Movie Review. Where we would I've heard about this, yeah. Where yeah. we would write, shoot, and edit uh, a thing in the style of the movie and try to get it out the night we saw. It. You know, when we were twenty and had energy. I was about to say that that is a very. I'm in my early twenties and uh, and and I can stay up late enough to yeah, do this kind yeah. of thing. And so uh, as we started doing that, and this was God, I'm dating myself now, but the, basically this was like before YouTube was even a thing. I was uploading QuickTimes and shit to websites. Oh shit! Like it was, it was, it was. It's old. Um, and uh, the. In that, like, those did have a short meta-narrative. We culminated, uh, our thing was something, we did the Golden Shot Awards. We rated things with shots of alcohol again. We were 20. <laughs> One being the best, five being the worst, because the more shots you need, the worse a movie is. That's right, the sort of, right, you know, right. again, real edgy stuff for a 20-year-old. Um, and uh, we did a thing called the Golden Shot Awards, which was basically, uh, we gave out awards to uh, for different random bullshit. And if you look at it now, it's all cringy and terrible and whatever, but like that was our like culmination. It was like an hour and a half award show where every one of the actual um, uh, like, oh, we're giving it to, you know, we'd give the five nominees and we do a short three second sketch that is the nominee packet. Like that's the whole. So we parodied like 50 movies. It was a meta narrative. We did the whole fucking thing. It's, I love this. It's terrible. <laughs> and then we just stopped doing it because we stopped doing it. Um, you, you started obviously later in, in chronologically, but like you've taken this, you've taken the brand of what you do, this fucking awesome, like critical thinking about films and then also tying your own cool, weird shit into it. You've taken it to the natural conclusion of that sort of like part of the story and in my head i'm just like fuck this dude did it like this dude did the thing i like if nothing else i committed to the bit yeah harder than anybody yeah and it's and it and it's and it's wonderful to see how so with sorry i went off on a tangent just so you know the context of where my questions are coming from this is great i love it i want to hear this um how did you start just doing your own basically film review or critique or discussion on YouTube like did what what I don't even know this Patrick what did you do before okay I can tell the the bizarre story of my YouTube career very quickly so I launched my YouTube channel which is just Patrick H Willems and also to be clear and I should have said that this at the beginning. No one ever actually has to call me Patrick H. Willems or, like, credit me that way. I am not in the credits of any of my stuff with the the H in the middle. The H is there because YouTube.com slash Patrick Willems was taken. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Well, no one's taken the one with the H. And so, like, in, like, the way it's always written is the H is in parentheses because it's optional. You don't have to say it. Um... But so I launched the channel in 2011, Mm -hmm. and the way that I pretty much used YouTube for years was the way that people generally use Vimeo, which is this is just a portfolio. I'm not trying to make the channel successful or make money off of this. Right. My goal with this is just to do a lot. Like it was all like narrative shorts in like different genres, trying out different styles and techniques and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was very bad at like branding and uh, and. Any of the stuff that would normally, like, build a consistent audience. The channel is named after me, and I'm not in most of the videos because I'm behind the camera. Right. So there's, like, no consistency in terms of, like, what this is, 
who this is, what like uh what the videos are about or whatever. And my whole goal with this is make a bunch of videos, hopefully uh make some that like get attention and then will get me hired to make stuff off of YouTube. And over the years, there were some bites. There were some a bunch of things that almost happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the period in 2015 after I made the the What If Wes Anderson directed X Men video. That's the first one of your your work that I saw. I think that's the case for most people. Yeah. Still, the most successful thing I've ever made. <laughs> um, where it really seemed like, oh man, I can I'm done with YouTube now. Like it's all happening. Uh, we've got all these like projects set up at different places thanks to the success of that video. Everything fell apart. Yeah. Uh, and I was back at square one. And um, but they were all narrative shorts. Nothing was a video essay at all. I would never dare, like, get like do, even though I had a degree in cinema studies, I would never dare like making videos where I like talked about movies. Yeah, something like that I was, I was like, no one wants to hear that. I'm just like, like, like who, who gives a shit? And um, and then the thing is, the Wes Anderson X Men was like my one big idea in yeah. terms of like. In terms of ideas that could be successful or, like, go viral back when, like, going viral was, like, a thing that mattered at all, mm-hmm. um, that was my my idea. And once every all the opportunities from that fell apart, I was like, I don't know. I don't have another one of those. Like, th- th- that, was, that was my big idea. And so the following year, after I'd still, like, made videos, but, and, uh, but I was trying to think, like, what do I do with YouTube now? Like, what? Like, I, uh, like... How am I gonna have a career using this thing when um it's been now uh five and a half years and my the, the big opportunities fell apart and so I decided to I took a couple months off and uh from from videos and just kind of like reevaluated things yeah and, and the thing is these videos were all like elaborate productions that would usually take like three to four weeks to make mm-hmm. there was no consistent schedule and so I I decided I was gonna try give it one last shot I was gonna commit to about three months of releasing a video every single Wednesday without fail. And because I knew I couldn't make a short film every single week, I would try some different types of videos. And uh, and that meant being like, I guess I'll do some where I just talk about movies or do like film criticism. And I was like, like I don't know, video essays seem to be a thing now. And again, I got a degree in cinema studies. I can write an essay about a, about a movie or whatever. I'll give that a shot. Yeah. Um, three weeks into this n- new project, I released my first video essay. I'm convinced no one is going to watch it. Uh, as has happened many times in my life, I'm very, very wrong. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people... Uh, actually, that first video essay is the second most successful video I've ever made. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, uh, the subscriber count that had like taken me five and a half years to like to build like doubled in two weeks and i was like oh okay i need to do more of these uh and keep this thing going and then what happened was then skip ahead six months later youtube is my main source of income Mm -hmm. the channel became profitable it was working and for the year of 2017 um, I made a lot of video essays, and they were pretty much all in the kind of classic, like every frame of painting style, like yeah. voiceover over movie clips, and um, which is a a great style that's like really effective for a video essay. So many people do it really, really well, and I just found that at the end of the year, I was really bored with the work because I was just using the format that everyone else uses. And uh, and there was like none of me in the video, yeah. and um, and I enjoy the process of making things, and I, 
And it was a thing where, like, I had kind of, like, gotten away from the narrative shorts, which I really, I found really, like, creatively fulfilling and, like, a fun challenge uh, to, like, try new things all the time. And then I was like, what if there's a way to combine these where I treat each essay as, like, a short film and it has these new narrative components to it and it's, like, it's going to be harder to make but what if there's a way that I like could like in each one of these videos create a like have a narrative and then create a context for why I'm going to talk about whatever the topic of the essay is and maybe sometimes like blend in like styles or themes from what the essay is or like like like, like what the topic is into the narrative and um and then as soon as I started doing that I enjoyed like the videos way more like the first couple times it was like really like difficult to figure out like how do I blend these things together how do I build a narrative arc to an essay and then once I got kind of got into a groove it became way more fun I was able to uh, make it more of a collaboration with the friends that I'd been working with really since high school who had been I'd made all like the narrative shorts with and now I got them more involved and like have like meetings before uh, like for each new video to figure out like okay how do we approach this and uh and it just became a lot more fulfilling. Yeah. And even if, uh, you know, some viewers were just like, no, all I want is is you to do the, like, cold, hard facts of the essay and just give me the analysis. And, uh, and I want this other bullshit. I'm like, I don't care. I, I want to make videos that I enjoy making and that I would want to watch. Right. And, um, and I, I like doing it better this way. And so... Uh, as we as we as we go forward, because my general thing is, I get bored if I'm just doing the same thing over and over again, like mechanically, and so I kept trying to find new ways to like make the narrative stuff interesting or or do new things with it, and uh, and then finally, at the end of 2019, we kind of landed on this idea of, what if we treat the next year of videos as a season of television and try to tell one long continuous arc through every video that year. And that's the beginning of how we end yeah. up with a movie. Well, so let's actually back up for one second. Let's talk about your friends. Let's talk about, let's I, talk I would about, love to. They're, let's talk about great. the team. So I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm forgetting, but there, there's Jake and Matt, Chloe and Michael. Yes. You okay. got them all. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, all of these are people that I went to high school well, that, with. So this is the thing. This is this is what I want to talk about because okay, I think you and I do share a sort of um, similar background where we were just making stuff in high school because we wanted to. We had a small group of people. Again, it's it's so lovely to see. And again, I, I I'd never met any of them uh, in real life until the premiere. And um, but like, it was really moving to see like all of you kind of together like in the moment like mm -hmm. and it was just like this is so fucking cool so you guys just what found each other in in a, in a drama class in different classes like oh. how did this how did how did you all sort of get tied together in high school? so the way it went is um actually it's funny i don't think i've told all of this stuff on in, in any other podcast or interviews uh there's another there's other podcasts oh well, I, 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 well, they might have been inspired <laughs> oh, by yours. Oh, of course, no, I mean, other again, multiverse. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> how, okay, uh, so uh, I never did a drama class or anything. So really what kind of happened was, uh, okay, so in 
the summer of 2004, uh, yeah, uh, I made a movie that summer. Mm -hmm. I made a movie called Patrick Willem's Aspiring Lumberjack. It was like a mockumentary about me trying to become a lumberjack. Uh, it was very silly. Sure. Um, I make serious art, if you can't tell. Of course. And, uh, and, and, and the thing is, like, I had made some stuff before that. Like, before that, most of my movies were, like, stop-motion animated movies with Lego, and, uh, which is time-consuming, and, um, and not a lot, of, a lot of people saw those. But yeah. th- what happened was, I made this movie over the summer, and I burned a bunch of DVDs of it, and I went back to school, and I just started loaning them out to people. I actually, like, I had, like, a, a, a kind of like a, a loaner sheet like on in in the back of a notebook where I kept track of who there were like numbered like ten numbered copies and I kept track of who had what copy at what time. Amazing. So I I always knew like oh and, and it was great it just like kept spreading and spreading and I I basically had people like do sign them out like to borrow them. Yeah. And the thing is, this sounds silly to say, but like in two thousand four, at least in my school, not a lot of people were making movies. Same. And so very quickly, uh, and also I will say, uh, as as someone who has who's kind of endlessly fascinated by like high school as a setting for movies and TV shows mm-hmm. and who's written like a, 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 a pilot for like a kind of teen dramedy uh, set in high school. Okay. It's um, I think a thing that occurred to me like, at, like, like years later is uh, like high school can often be a miserable time for everyone. And I do think a thing like, I'm not going to say the secret, but a thing that is like, can be very helpful for like having an okay high school experience is having a thing that 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 you are known for that is like you have the thing yes hopefully it's a good thing not like an embarrassing thing that everyone torments you about yep but suddenly i had a thing in the way that some people are like oh right that's like the violin kid or like the drama club kid or the sports kid suddenly i was the guy who makes movies Mm -hmm. and um, and I got my last two years of high school. Much, I mean, I mean, not, they hadn't been awful, but uh, but suddenly, once everyone knew me for one thing that was like actually like kind of cool, high school became better. Mm-hmm. And um, but also suddenly, everyone wanted to be involved in these movies. I was Everybody making. wants to be in a movie. Exactly. And so what happened was, uh, after we made Patrick Holmes Spider and Lumberjack, I started um, since pe- uh, people, I, I think what happened was uh, my friend Tim. Uh, who is in one shot in Night in the Coconut. Nice. Uh, let's say Night in the Coconut. Night of the Coconut. Night co- of the Coconut. <laughs> my, my brain is broken. Um, uh, so my friend Tim and I, in French class one day, just figured out a whole story for a sequel called Patrick Willem's Aspiring Lumberjack Part De Axes of Fury. And, and then suddenly... Everyone wanted to be involved. And we went from a movie that was just me on screen for 20 minutes to a movie that had every scene had like 20 people in it. <laughs> like, uh, it was wild. We never finished shooting the movie because it, be, it was such a complicated undertaking with so many characters that needed basically an entire crowd, you know, just like of like extras in like every scene. Sure. And uh, and we never actually fin- eventually what happened was um it was all like we were shooting in the fall and then finally like winter kicked in it's like it's too cold to still be wearing t-shirts which are our costumes like outside yeah. we uh, had to halt production but basically all these people wanted to be involved and so this was the beginning of it and so I already knew 
Matt from just some some classes. Sure, we, we, we were friendly, and uh, and so Matt was one of many people who was in this movie. And then uh, my sister is my sister who was at the premiere is two years younger than me. Okay, and we wanted a lot of just uh, extras for this movie, and so I I was like, hey Mary, can you get a lot of your friends to come over to the house uh, and like. Yeah. Be extras. And so, and one of Mary's good friends in high school was Chloe, who is like sort of one of the leads. Yeah, one of the leads of, of the film. Of the movie. And that was the first time I worked with Chloe. And, uh, and, and this was, and then like, and as this kind of continued, and then as I made some more movies in high school, like, uh, I realized, like, uh, like oh, oh, Matt, Matt's good. Like, Matt's very good. And then I also realized, like, oh, uh, Chloe's dad has a Tony Award. Um, like, oh, she, shit. She, like, not, like, she comes from, like, like, you know, an actual, like, like, acting lineage. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, and so, like, they kind of jumped out as, like, oh, they are, they are talented performers. And then Jake is Matt's younger brother. And so I got to know Jake just by going over to Matt's house sure. and being there. And Mike, so Jake and Mike are the two Jake writers Mike. of the movie. Yep. And I met Mike. Mike is also in the same grade as Jake and Chloe and my sister. Uh, or was in the same grade. We're not in high school anymore. Right. Um, and <laughs> what? Uh, Mike was uh, one of Jake's best friends. But I met Mike because, and um, I don't think they'll mind me saying this on uh, on air, Mike briefly dated my sister in high school. Okay, and initially I did not like him. Uh, I was an older brother, and also I thought he was annoying. Um, <laughs> but also, like Mike was like uh, he like wa- he was like into like stand up comedy at the time, and he was like also like wanted to be an actor and was like in plays and stuff like that in school and like community theater. And uh, he was like, he was very, he was, he was always very on and, yeah. and, and like liked, you know, getting attention, being funny, but also was like, even, even though he was dating my sister, he was also like, I want to be in your movies. I want to, I want to make a good impression. So you'll cast me in your movies. Cause I was the guy who made movies in school. Sure. And um, anyway, uh, once they were no longer dating and, uh, and then, and, I, and Mike and I finally started to get along better. And then as this continued, um, I just like kept working with these guys and then you know we 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 skip ahead and uh when I like launched the the YouTube channel in 2011 it was the summer I had been out from out of college for a year but we're all in the same hometown yeah uh we had and and we were all just back for the summer and so all of these guys were just in videos like on like the very earliest videos on the, like on the channel, the very first video on the channel stars Matt. Matt, and, and it features uh, Chad Rooley, who does the voice of Charles the Coconut. Okay. The second video on the channel starred Chad and Chloe. Uh, this was just a thing. Like, um, I, like these were the... Uh, I just was friends with all these people. Uh, I found over the years that, like, oh... I like working with these particular people. Uh, they're they're fun to like write with. Yeah. They're they're uh, you know they're good performers and all of this. And then, and there was a there was a time in uh, from the end of 2012. There was one year that I'm very nostalgic for, even though the channel had a very small audience and I was basically like I was pretty much broke most of the time. <sighs> but there was a time in 2000, like in, yeah, for basically 2013. 
uh, Matt and Jake were my roommates. Mike lived across the street from us. And Mike was also then roommates with my uh, my good friend, uh, Kendra James, who, who was one of my best friends from college, uh, and uh, who I just hung out with in L.A. a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and so we're all, like, on the same block, and we're all working on the videos together. During this time, uh, Mike started this thing where he was like, hey— we should have like like because I think we'd all like kind of dreamed of the idea of having like being in, in like a TV writers room. He's like, let's do a writers room meeting like every Monday evening where we all like sit there and like work on like the new videos like as a team together. And again, this is years before the channel was like really successful or profitable or whatever. But uh, but that was it. And and then of course you know in 2014 like. Mike moves to Philadelphia, uh, uh, you know, Matt and Jake moved to different places in the city, but we all continued to work together. And so to make, you know, to, to, to kind of conclude a long story, it's like, to me, it's like genuinely moving that we got to make this silly movie and premiere it at this like packed theater with a ton of people like cheering while I... Because this is kind of just like the culmination of these working relationships and like friendships that I have going back to 2004. Yeah, it's funny you bring up that 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 sort of the magical year, the 2011 year. I think is what you said, the, where you were all kind of in the 2013. Same, 2013. Sorry, yeah. when you were although all... 2011, we all were just like home for the summer. Sure, but there's some magic to being in the same like exact spot uh again mirroring sort of my own thing i there was a year um where me that gentleman steve uh my friend kelly and our friend devin all just decided to move to jersey to make a film house what like we just like moved to this mcmansion in short hills new jersey for a year and we just made these same night movie review video like it was it was ridiculous and like again it it, it it it's something I always look back on fondly because it's the ease at which that creator sort of writer's room energy can happen when you're around all of those people that like kind of have the similar the the vibe that you want to do is just magic and you don't get to have that all the time. Right. Uh, and and to have just sort of what you've described to still be able to have uh, at least a, a, a sliver of that with these same people that you've worked with forever and then to culminate in this actual film is is a thing of magic. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree. And like, honestly, a big thrill for me was when cause we just been doing this stuff and it was like, you know, it was obvious. Like I, I was losing money on it over, yeah. over, over the years. And when we finally got to a point where I was like, guys. I know we've just been doing this for free. I'm going to start paying you. Yeah. That was like, like, I mean, it seemed like it was just like, like, you know, like a nice bonus for them. But, but for me, that was like a big thing because like these guys, none of these guys do this specific thing. Uh, like professionally, they all have regular, I mean, the, the closest would be like, uh, uh, Chloe is like a, like, you know, a singer does like classical vocal performance mm-hmm. is like her main job. But in general, they're not working on stuff like this, like uh, professionally outside yeah. of this. And my my personal dream uh, or was like one of my main goals for years. 
and uh, you know, I, 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 and and look, if they don't all want this, then that's fine. But has been to, <laughs> I want, I I want these th- this team to be able to like quit their day jobs and do this stuff with me full time. Yeah, that is what I would like more than anything else. And uh, and so so yeah, so 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 getting to make a movie together and like pay them for the movie is like a, a, at least for me like really feels like this this is like you know really does feel like okay we maybe we're not as far as like we we will hopefully get but we like got we finally got to here i mean here's pretty fucking good man like the 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 odds of of what you and that team were able to pull off uh, and the, 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 I mean, again, I've, I've always said this about either filmmaking or to be perfectly honest, any vocation that people are passionate about and trying to do being amazing at it is definitely a part of it, but there's like, there's life and luck that kind of happens. Like you have to be amazing and get lucky to find a group of friends that will stay with you through that, to be able to do the thing. Like, there's all this stuff. So like, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. Especially after, and again, I didn't get to talk to them much because it was a very busy night, but like just getting to like, to experience the vibe even from the outside was like, yeah, this is fucking great. Like this is, this is such a nice moment for this group of friends. So I was, I was happy to see that, that, that was able to sort of come together with, with the singular night of the coconut. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh, Well, thank you. Yeah. It was like, it, it, uh, it really meant a lot to me and I was, uh, it was, it I mean, it was it was a great night. So, so, last question before we dive into the actual film uh, of stuff, uh, dis- discussion portion of this of this podcast. Your folks are absolute fan favorites of this entire thing. In fact, to be yeah. perfectly honest, so I I started watching your I started catching up after I got to know you, and I I did it the old school way. I took the last I think year or whatever and watched all of them to get the 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 plot as I, I was watching. Every the time video. I would see you, you'd be like, "Okay, I'm up to here. Progress update. <laughs> I'm at this video." Yeah. So so and and one of the things that I latched onto very much was your mom and dad in in this thing and it seems like from from comments I've read and from the premiere itself when your mom was there that like they're they're such a draw for this entire experience as well. Why did you how did they start getting involved in this? And when did you when did you know? Because I feel like there's probably a moment or a series of moments. When did you know how special that element of this whole narrative leading up to and in the night of the coconut was? Like what was that moment? So I have all is it it's funny so uh my my mom came down uh from my parents live 4 hours north of the city yeah. uh Saratoga Springs New York and uh my mom came down for this and my sister uh who I've mentioned already uh also visited for it and I was talking to my sister yesterday my my cuz my mom uh headed home earlier on the day yesterday they both stayed at my apartment overnight and um and my sister and I were just talking about like our parents are like the funniest people in the world. They're hilarious. And they're just and the thing is like generally people just see them scripted except for the two videos uh one where I take them to see Oh, the Avengers. Fast and Furious. Yeah, there, there's like I take them to see Avengers Endgame and they've seen like no Marvel movies. <laughs> and I take them to see F9 and they've seen 
zero Fast and Furious movies. And then we just have, we like get up, you know, we have, we drink wine and discuss them afterwards. So people get, there can get a sense of like, well, my parents are like unscripted, but they're just really funny. Like, you know, uh, my, you know, <laughs> my dad's college nickname was Legend Man. Just from Jesus. like, from like being known for just like, tell animatedly telling these like like incredible stories and like loving to like hold court yeah. with an audience and stuff like that he's like a really just you know he's like a a, a funny guy and uh you know like uh loves lacrosse loves uh you know doing like 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 working on the house and the land and side note there's yes. a moment because it happens in your videos as well there's a moment in the very beginning of night of the coconut where your dad's talking about lacrosse yes i actively cheered <laughs> when that happened i was like holy fuck they're doing it in the first five minutes i was like oh, i yeah. was so fucking <laughs> into that anyway sorry oh yeah oh, oh yeah i mean uh we we did like to, to be clear i'm not above fan service <laughs> Uh, and it's funny that 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 literally, and I didn't even script that. I said, "Dad, just uh, just talk about lacrosse for like thirty seconds," and uh, <laughs> nailed it. Um, I and so so my dad's great, and then my mom is from Ireland, and so has an accent, which is fun, and is also and it's funny. My mom has like a little bit of acting experience, okay. and like ha, like has done some like community theater and stuff like that. She's played a witch in Macbeth, oh. that kind of thing. Um, and uh, but is also just just they're just very funny people. Sure, they're people that I, I like, I genuinely like to to hang out with. They're just a good time. They are my parents are a good hang. My my biggest regret of premiere night was I actually didn't meet your mom. Oh, it just didn't. I, I was I'm like, so sorry. No, listen, that's on me. Uh, but I did want to. I wanted to congratulate her as well because yeah, she they seem like just such a fucking cool group of people to hang out with. My mom signed autographs. People went up and like I, I told her going like when she told me she was gonna come for. I was like, Mom, you're gonna be the biggest celebrity there. Yeah, Pe people are gonna lose their minds. And then uh, she had the best time. Did she? Before before premiere night, yes. Because I find again, sorry, I'm just trying to I'm trying to relate back to un, like my experiences and where these questions are coming from. My parents know what I do for a living, but they know that I'm a cartoon on the internet. They don't watch my stuff. They don't do whatever. They're still amazed that this sort of happened and like you know whatever. Yeah. Did did your before premiere night? Do you think your parents knew the 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 fandom and sort of the reach of what you do they do so my my parents have always like i'm i'm really lucky like yeah. i uh it's not like you know my parents weren't uh like when i was they always encouraged my interests yeah. and uh and and encouraged me doing like you know creative things i before i i, I got into filmmaking uh, i really wanted to be a comic book artist and and it's not like they were they, you know I, I don't know. We were like a I don't middle class family. They weren't be they weren't like being like oh cool we're gonna buy you all the gear right. and and all and, and and like all that kind of stuff. They're like no we'll like support you and you know uh, and like try to help you. But you know you, you gotta they won't force you to be a lawyer, but like do your stuff and it's cool. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And so like at one point in high school, they did decide like they were like oh he seems serious about this filmmaking. They're like. Let's buy a camcorder for the family so that Patrick can have mostly so that he can use it yeah. and like 
pursue this and and stuff like that. And so and over the years, you know, like I already mentioned, it took about six years for YouTube to become profitable. Yes. Uh, that was a stressful six years. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, my day job was freelance video work for years, but, like, I didn't have a nine-to-five, like, stable day job. Yeah. Like, in 2015, um, I got shingles, which was, like, normally doesn't happen if you're under the age of 60 unless it's triggered by, like, extreme stress. And that was me, uh, that was me having extreme stress triggered by, like, you know, just being flat broke and having negative money. Yeah. Because, uh, like, my account was like overdrawn because I all of my freelance clients like decided to like put a pause on new projects for a while like that kind of thing and so my parents saw how stressed I was for so many years and you know and the thing is like there was a point I think in like maybe early 2016 when they were like maybe I know you you always said you didn't want to do this maybe it's worth considering you know getting like an actual full-time job uh so at least there's like a bit more stability and yeah. you know you can still like you can still work in your outside projects just just they're, they're just like we're we're worried about you but yeah but but you know they never like forced me to do anything they they were always very supportive and um and then and I, and then what kind of happened was it was in early 2017 as even though i i said earlier that my my videos uh for 2017 were all like kind of classical like uh the, like the, the very classic format of video essays the one exception was i made a few videos uh where actually what happened was um when i was planning out this like new shift into like weekly videos and like doing some like film criticism videos yeah. i mentioned this to jake and uh and jake's immediate response was oh you should just uh you should turn your fast and furious monologue into a video and what Jake meant by that is that uh, he and my friends had been to enough parties with me where they knew where if I hear someone in the room say that they haven't seen the Fast and Furious movies, I would leap across the room and just and launch into this 10-minute monologue <laughs> that, that basically became like – that I delivered enough times to be able to like do it like from heart. Were you becoming Legend Man? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, my God. Is, 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 is this uh, – is this my destiny to like take over the mantle from from my father? I think so. I uh, but so they had heard this enough times to be like, oh, oh Patrick's doing his thing. He's like cornering another poor person at this party. <laughs> tell them why they have to watch these car movies. And so Jake's was like, Jake was like, like, you should turn that monologue into a video. And I was like, I think you're right. And originally that video, which was called Patrick Explains the Fast and the Furious in parentheses and why it's great. Um, was going to be just me in front of, like, a blank white backdrop giving this monologue. And then around when I was going to shoot the video, I was visiting my parents for a few days, and I had this thought. I was like, what if we just add this context to the video where I am just sitting across a table from them, and I'm, like, you know, looking kind of deranged, like wearing sunglasses indoors and, like, drinking a bottle of whiskey, and I'm giving this monologue to them. And uh, I remember asking my parents if they could do this. And to be clear, the way we shot the video is their part took five minutes to shoot. Oh, yeah. They were not across the table from me, like, listening to the entire monologue. And originally, it was funny, I think um, uh, my dad, uh, actually, I don't think either of them had retired yet. They're they're both retired now. Mm-hmm. But I remember um, uh, they were both, like, 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 
my mom was like pretty happy to do it. She was like, yeah, sure. My dad was like, okay, I'll do it. But like, please don't put my name in the credits uh, or anything like that. And, uh, and, and so th they did it. And, um, anyway, uh, back then I still read the comments section. On oh the God. I, I, I quit that in February, 2018. The first time I made a video about star Wars That'll and, real do it. and realized, uh, I gotta, st I, I can't do this. Uh, yeah. that will ruin me. Um, Anyway, my parents looked at the comment section on the video. They were like, we're curious. Like, what do people think of us? And the comments is overwhelmingly like, your parents are so great. Oh, my God, they're awesome. You have to put them in more videos. They're the best. <laughs> and so and the thing is, I always knew they were funny. That's why I asked them to be in the video. And uh, and so and, – and, but then they saw this and were like, oh, people like us. This is fun. And so – as this went on and we continued the series, the Patrick Splain series where I – usually it's about like a movie that is like I feel under-discussed or underrated. Mm -hmm. And I give this monologue about like why everyone should see it and it's actually great. And uh, and we continued this and like built up this like side narrative just in this series about like me returning to them over and over again and like – maybe having like a drinking problem and then them discovering that I've actually been living in the barn next to the house. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, and this whole thing. And it became this like collaboration between us where sometimes when I would visit them, we would just sit around in the kitchen and, you know, talk and I would tell them, okay, so here's where I'm thinking the story will go. And then usually my dad would be like, okay, I, I have some pitches for, like, s lines I could say in the videos. <laughs> yes. And, and they really enjoyed it, and we'd look forward to it. And so the parts with them became, like, more complex as time went on as they just got really into it. And so it became this great thing where, you know, and, and then they also became so happy that the video, that like the channel and everything was doing well and that for the first time pretty much in my adult life, I had stability. Yeah. Like, uh, like even though like I still work a crazy schedule, like I have financial stability, like I'm not stressed about that at yeah. least. Uh, and the videos are doing well. My parents watch every video and sometimes I'm, I'm just like, really? The one up, up with that? You watch that one? Like, you don't, you guys don't care about that. Uh, sometimes they will be motivated to just like go and watch movies that I do the videos about because my parents have pretty, pretty like open-minded, broad taste in film. Yeah, and uh, and they just like they're the best. Yeah, they're like I, I not to get too like sentimental here, but like I really love my parents and I I love working with them and I I I realize how lucky I am to have them be so like my dad called me this morning just like just to tell me like he was like in the car. Don't worry, he, he, you know, hands free on the phone. Of course, but uh, just to be like, hey, I, I, I heard all about the premiere, and let's have a long, like, phone chat tomorrow. But he was like, I just want to say like how proud I am of you. It's like, it's, it's so nice. It's like, uh, I, I really appreciate it, and I also it means so much to me that now, like, my, my parents who I've always enjoyed so much, like in high school, my friends would jokingly say to me, oh, we just hang out with you so we can go to your house and hang out with your parents. <laughs> um, I I love the fact that I've been able to kind of like share them with the world because I promise you, as fun and cool as they are in the videos, they're more fun in real life. It was getting to watch people at the after party from the premiere just hang out with my mom. Yeah. 
and just have like long conversations with her. Like, uh, <laughs> it was so great when uh, Brian from the channel Real Engineering, yep. uh, who has like for, for he told me this. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. For the any time I ever see him, he's just like, when can I be in a video like with your mom? And because Brian is from Ireland, yeah, and uh, he's from Galway. My, my mother's from Clare. And when Brian went up and talked to introduce himself to my mom, she just immediately launched into talking to him in Irish. Yep. And they have a long conversation in Irish. And Brian was telling me that he's like, I haven't had, I haven't like spoken Irish to anyone in years. Yeah. And they just hung out for a while, like in a bar for a while. It, it, it was like, it was so cool. To I say. think he told that story because it, he loved it so much to literally everyone else at the party <laughs> afterward. Cause he, he told me and I, I overheard him tell someone like it, it, yeah, that was just a, a really nice moment. I think for both of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 I will say, um, you know, on like, I almost wish my parents were in the movie more. It was just you know because of honestly just because of like the geography and like they are geographically far away from where a lot of the action takes place. Like, yeah, I think they really crush it with their screen time. They do, and uh, but like. You know, I could, I could have, I would have gladly put them in the movie more, and I'm sure they would have been happy to do it. So, we've been talking about how you got to the night of the coconut. I think we should talk about uh, what is this thing. Let's talk about the actual night of the coconut. Now, Patrick, you've been on the show twice now. This is the third time, I think. So, I am a fan of uh, going to the Internet Movie Database. And reading uh, what the uh, what IMDb says the description of the film is. That's normally what I do. Yeah. There is not yet a description. It, there's a, there's a listing uh, for for Night of the Coconut, but there is Ooh. no there is no description. Uh, and I don't know exactly how they get there. If you have to submit them or or, or if people can no, do no, them or whatever. Pe- I, I will tell you, every one of my videos is on IMDb, and I haven't put any of them there. Yeah. People can just go and edit that. So I will say the movie, it is on Letterboxd. There you and go. And it has been reviewed on Letterboxd. All right. Well, I wrote an internet movie database <laughs> description <laughs> of your film. Did you submit it? No, I, I don't know how. I will. If, if you like it, I'll submit it. I'll figure okay. out how to do it. Oh, look, here's the thing. Genuinely, like... This morning, I had to write the description that will be on Nebula, and I was like, uh, I'm so bad at this, especially for a movie that is also a season finale to a long show. I'm like, how do you explain this in, like, I think my limit was, like, 225 characters. I don't know what the character count is here. Mine is one sentence. I don't know if this works. Just uh, follow me down. I I can't wait to find out what this is. Matt, Chloe, and Dave the Agent attempt to thwart the clout-soaking plan of Charles the Coconut, which would earn he and Patrick all the stacks of fat cheddar and or destroy the entire planet. Damn, that's good. I think I, I, think I nailed the, the central, the central uh, plot points of what is happening in the thing. And I will submit that if you want to Mr. and or Mrs. Uh, IMDB. Yeah, it's um here. Uh... Do you do you want to hear what I wrote? Yeah, because I think yours might be better. <laughs> okay, um, so I have my long description, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then my short description. Okay, uh, as in the long one where I didn't really have uh, like a, a character limit. Yeah, because and then, on the page you can put however much you want on the full Nebula page. Right. Yeah, my long description is 
Charles, colon, an, an adorable googly-eyed coconut turned pop culture sensation who is secretly a genocidal robot from another universe. In five days, he's going to murder the entire planet, and the only people who might be able to stop him are a multiverse-hopping law enforcement officer and a failed author obsessed with cartoons. The season finale of the long-running Charles storyline on the Patrick H. Willems channel. My short description, where I was really limited by characters, is... A science fiction adventure musical comedy about friendship, parallel universes, the internet, and genocidal coconuts. Okay. And I, I, I gotta say, mine's fine. You know, yours uh, honestly might be better. Well, listen, I don't. I think mine. The problem with mine is I was having a hard time doing it, but then I remembered IMDb doesn't give a shit. Like they, 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 you, like they. The, some of the descriptions I've had to read for movies, like it, it's almost as if they're like, oh, you've seen this already, so here's what you're going to say yes, about exactly. it. Like I know some people who are not familiar with the chronology of, of what your your uh, series on YouTube have done. They don't know who Chloe is. They don't know who, you know, the, Charles or whomever is. Right. Where, but I just I just leaned into the, well, I do. And that's, you know, so anyway. Yes. This this is, a, again, the weird thing, not, not the weird thing. <laughs> One of the weird things about this movie is, so originally... This was supposed to be, this was intended as like a 25 to 30 minute short film that would just be the season finale to this long thing and would really only be aimed at the loyal audience who has watched the mm-hmm. whole storyline, watched all the videos. And it'd, it'd be like, here's here's like a, a payoff to like, to watching everything. Like here's, uh, you know, like your reward. Yeah. And, and it would take like a couple months to make. And then it became a 90-minute long feature-length film. And by nature of it being a feature-length film and being, like, not only the first narrative project on Nebula, but, uh, well, sorry, not just the first feature-length movie on Nebula, but the first narrative project at all, suddenly it's like, oh, shit, we got to treat this like we got a movie. And it's a movie, and we got to talk about it like a movie, and it's like... It is a movie, but it's not it was never intended as like an entry point. So it's this weird thing to talk about being like, "Hey, we made a movie. Everyone please watch our movie." Also to understand our movie, you kind of have to watch a bunch of other stuff first. Which... I mean, marketing-wise, you're just going to you get those sweet views and then you get, <laughs> you get but, Exactly. But, but... Oh, also I I I should say, um if you watch this movie on Nebula, there there is also a uh, a five minute recap of the entire storyline thus far that will cover all the necessary story mm-hmm. and plot points that you need to know going in. Yeah, I was gonna say I was debating. So Jamie wants to watch it. She couldn't make the premiere. She showed up later in the evening because she yes. had a work thing that exploded and yada yada. yada. Yeah, oh yeah, was so, like I did see Jamie. She was later. there. She was. She called me at the eleventh hour and was like, "I am so fucking sorry." This shit blew up. My boss has said the other thing. I'm not going to throw people in her company out of the bus, but like it was like when she's like, I, I, I'm going to try to make it, but if I can't, I will make it for the, the afternoon. Da, da, da. Anyway, she's been uh, a few times now. Uh, I think we'll probably end up watching it in Maine uh, when we go visit her folks and just will because we have just we'll have some time up there. Make her parents. Watch well, I, it. So here's the thing. I was I was debating throwing it up with no context because I want to. I am okay. I am of the belief, and listeners at home, this is for you too. Uh, listen, the five minute recap that played in the beginning, I thought was very, very clear. It got every piece of information across. You know, whatever. I still think, in a, in the same way that your you know uh, your parents watched Endgame or, or or anything like that, and still probably had fun with various sort of things. I think someone going into this cold 
accepting that you're going into something cold will still enjoy this quite a bit. There's there's a there's a sense of joy to the entire endeavor that actually like I think transcends the plot for me. Okay. Like 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 I don't know if it's I, I actually no, I don't even think it's because like oh, I know that like what it takes to make a movie and like what it sort of is. I just think there's but with everyone on screen and the care in which the silliest things are it's taken with, right? You see that and then you care. I'm a big proponent of if you latch a, a viewer onto your vibe in five minutes or five to ten minutes or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Like they'll they'll get on board with the vibe. Mm-hmm. Like if it's consistent and and you can see the love and sort of joy in the thing that you're doing, they're just gonna go on it and have fun. Um, again, I, I not to shit on this like we were before the podcast, but Jurassic Park Dominion doesn't do that. Here's a franchise that I love or loved, and and then I I can't I can't do that. I can't latch onto it because I don't see the joy in that. Where right. where weirdly again, I know it's sort of strange to sort of go back and forth between these things, but for Night of the Coconut, honestly, t- straight up. <laughs> your parents' performance in the beginning, and this is a trailer moment, so I'm not spoiling anything, when your mom says, uh, Patrick, what's going on? You're covered in goo. And I was like, this is, yep, here I am. This is, I am ready for the next fucking 90 minutes. Like, so, so, so I would say to everyone, uh, when, and you all should, uh, sign up uh, for Nebula. You have, a, you have a code, don't you? We'll say it again at the end, right? Yeah, curiositystream.com slash Patrick H. Willems. That's right. You get an annual plan for... You can get an annual plan for an entire year for less than the cost of a ticket to see Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, and I got to say, this is a better use of that, that money. It really, really is. Uh, and I will actually, I, I don't know if we're doing an episode on Dominion. I will say that exact tagline with your code if and when I do that for Jurassic Park Dominion because I truly believe that. Also, I will, I will say... About Jurassic World Dominion, it's... <laughs> Don't go down the road! <laughs> no, but, like, that is a movie that... And again, this is just anecdotal evidence. No one seems especially excited about... Everyone is... Like, it, it made, like, a hundred and, like, forty-something million dollars, like, opening weekend. Mm-hmm. It is, like, a huge hit entirely out of people going out of obligation. Just yeah. being, like... I guess this is the thing I'm supposed to see now. Yeah. And and, and 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 that's the thing. It's like, it's doing fine. It's going to make a big profit. Sure. Even if, you know, no one seems to like the movie very much. And so, so yeah, I'm not shitting on it. Like, that no. movie is totally okay no matter what we say. I, I, I will be a little harsher. No, 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 no. Sorry. As in, I don't mean the movie itself is okay. I think, right. I think the movie is bad. Like, legit bad. I'm saying the movie, it's like the, everyone involved in that movie will be fine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, it's a- we're not like, you know, <laughs> that is not a struggling indie movie that we're like, you know, like yeah. shitting on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but actually, I can, I can sort of transition to my next question. The So when I was watching this, First and foremost, the, the way that you described uh, your YouTube videos themselves, you you get bored with the idea of just sort of the straight up narrative without not not no sorry you get bored with the sort of the straight up like video essay like and I'm talking to the camera and like whatever so you've invented sort of a style 
I would say that I, I could identify your style of a video essay now in general because it's like you, you, you have an interesting backdrop. You'll cut between different things. Like I, like It's a reason why I gravitated after I found your stuff to your stuff. It's a reason why I really like movies with Mikey because there's a consistent sort of differentialness to all to both of your work. Like yeah. it's, it, it helps me – I find even if there's a video essay for anybody that is very, very interesting, if there's not that little extra – what the French would call a certain I don't know what the 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 in that as well I can't latch on I can't sit there and watch someone talking at me for 30 minutes like I for whatever reason I can't but with your stuff with Mikey's uh, I I'm like this is moving in that way that's like every time I love the information and it's being shown to me very clearly well this is the thing and uh I don't this kind of uh I guess relates more to like the the regular the the essays and regular videos that I make than than the movie but the way that I look at it is, and look, obviously, this, this you know, relates to your videos as well. You know, you are a cartoon on the internet. It's like, we're working in a visual medium. Yeah. And so, you, like, if you, if all you want to do is write an essay, then, like, publish it on the internet. Obviously, YouTube will, like, you know, reach more people or whatever. But yeah. I'm just like, consider your medium. Why did you choose this medium? Did you choose it just because a lot of people go to YouTube? Or do you choose it because you actually want to take advantage of everything you can do there? Yeah. And 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 this is the thing. I, I'm like, I like, I really like visual storytelling and thinking about the possibilities of what can be done with with this medium, this format, how, uh, like, like, like what, and also like, what is a YouTube video? It's it is this bizarre kind of new medium that has that brings with it all these possibilities. Yeah. Again, you are a cartoon who does talks about like history a lot and yeah. and, and, and 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 books and video. Yeah. You, you talk a lot about a lot of stuff. And um, but that's that, that that's the thing. You have this like cartoon approach to exploring these topics, and the visuals matter a lot. Mm-hmm. And um. Well, I was watching your video about uh, tulip fever. Oh while, yeah, the they, tulip mania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. During, uh, you know, <laughs> while like uh, on one of our last crazy nights of like post production on on this, and I'm just like, obviously, you guys think deliberately about what these look like mm-hmm. and how we how we tell these stories, and so and it's this kind of thing. It's like it's a thing you know that, that Mikey does really really well, mm-hmm. and um and so like, I think. Uh, as much as, again, there will always be that portion of the audience who's like, no, get rid of all the extra bullshit. All, all we want are, like, the cold hard facts and, like, your analysis and opinions. I'm just like, no, sorry, but, like, aesthetics matter. Yeah. Like, like er- all these things, like, like, I think a lot about the clothing I wear in each video. I think all... All of this matters. Jamie has Jamie has a better eye for that than I do. She has comment. I mean, she's talked to you in person. She talks about your clothes to you in person. I think too much for a social situation. No, no, <laughs> but I, but I, 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 no, no. It, it, it's always fun. But, no, but, but she's always like, yeah. Patrick has a fucking style, and he knows it, and he and he like he plans it, and and it seems like it's a like everything makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, that's it's it's part of it's part of the entire aesthetic of of the videos themselves. Right. And I like what you said about sort of taking advantage of the medium that you are using. I will circle this back to the coconut because we could talk about YouTube bullshit for as I could do that forever too. Now you're in this different medium, even though it is on the internet. This is now a feature fucking film. Yeah. When you were approaching it, by the time that you knew it was going to be a feature that that Nebula was going to is going to premiere on Nebula and you're you're going to have the, the the resources to do this in a long form capacity 
How, if so, did that change what you wanted to accomplish? And, and, and not necessarily just with the narrative, because I think the narrative you even described in the Q&A after that was like ever flowing and you kind of got there eventually. Right. But as far as like the, 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 the film craft at work, what was the thing that you were the most excited about where you're like, well, fuck, I can do this now or I can shoot it like this or, you know, what? what's that thing? There was definitely a bunch of that. And so I, w- I will say we pitched to Nebula as the 25 minute short. Right. We were given the budget we were given was for a 25 minute <laughs> short. <laughs> OK. Um, And uh, and so but knowing that. But OK, going into this. I very deliberately wanted this to feel like okay, we've we've been watching YouTube videos, and or even like let's say that was a TV show, and I want this to feel like a movie. This like I want this to begin and like within seconds the audience goes oh, this 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 feels a bit different. Yeah, it does. And uh, and there were some things like there are. It is funny how. Uh, and so last August, I made a video about trying to explore what the idea of cinematic means yes, and yep, like I'm familiar. how it is like sort of cinematic is like this this like sh- term that's thrown around a lot that often, uh, you know, like on YouTube just means like, oh, uh, did you put like black letterboxed bars on it and shoot it in slow motion? And that's what you call cinematic. But why is that cinematic? How, how does that mean it is like of like containing the qualities yeah. of cinema. And uh and so with this there were certain things like okay, I want to I want to shoot this in a different aspect ratio. I want this to be in cinema scope. These these have been in like regular like 16 9 mm-hmm. aspect ratio like filling the frame of of a YouTube video. But with this I was like okay, r- right off the bat we are going to shoot this in a in cinema scope in a wider aspect ratio which just Suddenly, and I, and I will say, learning how to s- frame shots that way, it is it is a thing that you got to think about because the frame, or sorry, sorry, the shape of the frame is different than you've been thinking about all mm-hmm. this time, and it does affect how you frame shots. Like close-ups work completely differently yeah. that way, and it's this interesting new challenge, and and it also means like okay, because this is a wider frame, I am going to like frame shots wider than I usually would. Like like more dialogue scenes will be shot from people's like waist up instead of like, I don't know, their like collarbone yeah. up. That kind of thing. So you've got stuff like that. Like, okay, trying to have like, you know, more like two shots with like two actors on screen at the same time. That kind of thing. Uh, I was immediately like okay i'm going to get a new camera to shoot it on i want to get i've been using a sony a7 III, which is a camera that i like a lot uh for years but i want to get a cinema camera with like a greater dynamic range Mm -hmm. so that we can just make the images a little bit more robust yeah um and uh and also like i i want to bring on a colorist for this so i'm not doing my own color grading colored great by the way thank you uh shout out to ryan alva uh who is usually my co-editor on all my regular videos <laughs> but is also a really good cinematographer and a really good colorist and uh and he took my mediocre cinematography and made it look like i i knew what i was doing <laughs> And, uh, and like, we had a lot of long discussions and long meetings trying to, like, refine the look of the movie, trying to figure out, like, okay, like, 
how do we want to like what level of film grain do we want mm -hmm. like how do we want the sh like what kind of contrast do we want going through like a lot of different like references to like other movies like what what is the kind of look we want with this i will say actually i don't think a lot of people would expect this specific one what ended up being a major reference point for dialing in the look for the movie was the 20 was it 2020 I think so. 2020 Steven Soderbergh movie, Let Them All Talk. Wow. The, the one uh, the one with Meryl Streep on the cruise ship. Okay, I saw, I've seen a trailer. I have not seen that film. I really like it. Okay. It's, it's one, I mean, like, I watch every Soderbergh movie, you know, like, yeah. he's he's usually doing great. Like, I'm a, like, I, I loved Kimmy this year. And, uh, but Let Them All Talk, the one where it's like, oh, three, like, older women talking a lot on a cruise across the Atlantic doesn't seem like the most exciting thing on paper and it's a blast yeah okay i loved the movie but uh but also just going through because like soderbergh is obviously a big reference point for me just because like he's a director who's also his own editor and cinematographer he often like brings in like no lights to set and it's just like <laughs> like working with just like what is already there mm -hmm. how can we make what's already there look good and and work really quickly and uh, and so because I'm working with a lot of limitations, our budget is tiny. I have like no crew, so I'm like, look, I would love like you know, for I'm a huge Brian De Palma fan. I would love to be like, you know, stealing like shots and like homaging De Palma, but uh, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like uh, I would love to do like a Spielberg esque oneer, but um, I don't have a focus puller who yeah. can pull that off. I don't. I don't have the, like, whatever, three days Janusz Kaminski took to, like, rig up a trillion lights to have this thing look perfect. I can't do that. But I'm like, I can't do it as well as Soderbergh, but but at least he's working with pretty similar, uh, like, resources and limitations that I am. Mm -hmm. So I can at least, like, look at his stuff and try to, and, and, and be like, okay, that's, like, almost achievable. Yeah. And, uh, and like it's not that it's not the technical stuff that he's doing with it. It's just like talent and creativity. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying uh, to reference. But yeah. And so anyway, but uh, it was specifically like okay, aspect ratio, uh, framing of shots differently, bringing in a colorist. But then also things like, you know, we did think okay, we're you know we're making like let's right away let's put in certain things that that like are going to make this feel special like back at the end of 2020 we did a video where we managed to do a youtube video that was a musical mm -hmm. that that did have a musical number in it of course it was during a one of the many covid surges sure. we've lived through and so it was a musical number that was three people singing that had to be made done entirely remotely where i was having to go on facetime with jake and chloe in their own apartments to tell them how to light their, oh, their wow. scenes and like give them a shot list of, okay, these are the shots I need you to get and then send them to me and I'll edit it all together. And thank, and I, I, I had to mention him, Brian Metolius, our genius composer mm -hmm. who uh, also like wrote all, all and produced all the songs or anything like that. I have some questions about that. There was it, the, 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 the music and the sound design in this thing are, are, top not in fact it probably honestly one of my favorite parts of the entire thing well I, I have that yeah but i uh, and and so like going to this movie though i was like you know what 
and and also when we did that musical number in 2020, um, I uh, did agree to sing in it. <laughs> uh, I don't really like, uh, you know, singing. Uh, it's not it's not really in my skill set. But I but I I was like, I'm gonna make it work. For Disagree. This. I was at the karaoke after after party, my friend. Uh, so I I will. I'm sorry. Respectfully disagree with your assessment that you cannot sing because there were there were songs sung. Oh, 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 yes. I mean, uh, so, uh, someone there also did send me a video, and uh, yesterday my sister and I watched the video of us just fucking belting, <laughs> not, not even belting, just basically, like, screaming 22 by Taylor Swift yes. into into the mics. I think I have a video of that, too. I'll send that to you as well. Thank you. Uh, um, but, but, so, but, for instance, going to this, I was like, you know what? We're making, we're making a goddamn movie. We are doing a musical number. Uh, that's going to be Chloe, the classically trained, uh, like, professional singer, her singing. But we're going to have fucking cameras spinning around her in a field, like, Sound of Music style. Yeah. Because we're making a movie. We're doing that. I'm just like, we are going to shoot, like, shoot scenes... Not many because our budget is limited, but yeah. like we're gonna we're gonna fly to another country to film stuff. I want like I've been given this insane opportunity to make a very silly thing. Yeah, that is inherently self indulgent. It is a movie starring my high school friends and I as ourselves, and so and it's about a coconut. Like like <laughs> honestly, the thing with this became like every. Every fun or exciting idea we want to try, let's just put it all in there. Let's let's make a movie where we have an entire, like, two-minute sequence basically done with puppets. Yep. Like, let's, let's put all of these things in there because why not? Uh, l- l- it's like we, we want to do the stuff that we normally can't do. And, and again, still working within our you know, our crazy shooting schedule and, and, and with, you know, any like, uh, you know, all the limitations we've got, but like, let's really try to go for it. Yeah. Well, so, so on, on the kind of, uh, on that line of either trying to go for it or just sort of elevating the form that you'd kind of already done the music and the sound design in particular were things that I latched onto kind of instantly because, Again, this is not to say that I was surprised how good they were. I know the pedigree of what you do, and I knew this was going to be really fun. But I, I, I'm often, whenever I'm even looking at any film, I'm often very shocked of like, oh, I gravitated toward that. And and here, it was just, it's weird. It's not like it jumped out by any means of like, oh, I noticed a thing. It was just so clean and effective. Like, the the, the way the music is handled in this movie there are so many small callbacks to like other things. Like it's Matt, I, you you don't even know the extent of it. But the, and I can say this because I have I, I can't take credit for almost any of this. Okay, so this is this is sort of the thing. I know that I'm not getting like the entirety of it, but this is what I this is what I'll say. I noticed. I understand there are. I see what I experience, but I think I experience them and I notice them and I and I I'm championing them now because I understand there is a depth behind that that I don't I don't fully have all of the things or I don't right. even know why I'm latching onto it like I am. The one that I can call out that's very very small, 
but um, you have a you had a, a theme song, I think, for the second half of your of your the YouTube series. Of the this. one I, I believe the official title of that song is "It's Patrick Show." It's Patrick Show, and and there's there's and I, I don't know musical terminology at all, so anyone who does will can butcher me or email me and onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. But like, there's a not an homage or a thing, but like that melody plays behind a section i think it's when they're they're they might either they just figured out how they were going to plan i don't remember exactly where it is but like it's there matt it gets uh, the thing that you're talking about yeah it's wilder than you even realize (laughs) okay so uh one of the greatest uh collaborative experiences of my life has been with brian metolius my composer who I love so dearly. I have met Brian. Brian's very cool. Yes, Brian has become one of my, one of my best friends. So, in 2017, uh, I I mentioned like on the channel that I was like working on this short film at the time, and I just get this email from this guy uh, saying like, "Hey, I've you know been a fan of the channel for years. Uh, if you need a composer for this, I'd I'll, I'd love to work on it for free." And I, I, I went through, uh, you know, his website. And the, the thing that, that Brian, honestly, is still best known for is um, if you're familiar at all with um, the off-Broadway play Puffs, which is kind of like a, like a comedic riff on Harry Potter, which yes. is actually one of the most successful off-Broadway plays of all time in terms of, like, in terms of off-Broadway, off-Broadway plays who didn't, that didn't go to Broadway. Yeah. Puffs is currently, uh, in 2022... The second most produced play in high for, uh, in high schools in the country. Wow! It is it, yeah, and uh, and uh, and Matt Cox, who wrote Puffs, uh, is also also plays a uh, a key role in the movie. I don't want to spoil his role, um, uh, but he plays uh, a uh, a journalist in one sequence. And um and so I looked at Brian's like like work and I was like oh he's good yeah totally yeah. I'm like uh, sure I don't have a composer like absolutely you can work on this Brian was living in L A at the time and um and then when he visited uh New York a few months later he was like hey do you want to you know grab coffee and you know meet up and um you know you never know how these things will go so I like budgeted like an hour of time to yeah. be like what if what if it's weird and we don't get along yeah um. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Brian and, hang out, and I hang out for like three and a half hours. We get along very well, um, and then you know we, you know we uh, uh, over time we find reasons to work together. I'm just like, ooh, I could use like a little bit of music for this part of this one video and stuff like that. Or like, I think it started when I was I was doing a a, a podcast called uh, We Heart Heartnet with with Matt and Jake Torpy yep. uh, about the entire filmography of Josh Hartnett, uh, a normal cool thing to do. And um and we we made a theme song on our own uh like a very kind of like lo-fi theme song. At one point, Brian was just sent me an email. Just like, here's the thing I did for fun, and Brian just took our theme song that we wrote, but then created a fully produced, amazing sounding theme song. And we're just like, oh my god, this guy's so good. Um, and so we found ways to like to work together and then what happened was at the beginning of 2020 when we started the season long arc uh, i brian was one of the first people that i contacted to tell about this plan cuz i was like hey i would love for you to do as much music as you'd like to for this project going forward as in like often scoring like just a scene per episode uh in terms of like the narrative sections, and I, I the thing was, I can say this now because it's been a while. Yeah. So the season arc, which it begins like 
I go on vacation to Mexico in January 2020. And when I come home, I'm being weird and really kind of like, kind of like this, like, you know, uh, like, I guess very career minded, like asshole trying to like, you know, maximize the profits for the channel and stuff like that. And uh, my friends are being like, what happened to Patrick on that trip? Why is he being all weird? And the reveal eventually is that there's a multiverse and the Patrick from the Patrick Explains series, which is actually on like a parallel earth, crossed over here uh, and uh, and took the place of the regular me. And so there was the other Patrick that came back on vacation. And uh, and so I told Brian all of this. We, we had the whole twist. We... It, it took us over a year to reveal the twist, but we knew it from the beginning. I told yeah. this to Brian. So Brian crafted this leitmotif uh, for other Patrick that, that I believe first comes in in the second episode of the season. Okay. Um, and like, it, it, like I can't really sing, but it goes like, you know, dun, 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 dun. And like, it's, it's that. Yeah. Anyway, skip ahead a year. And then when I'm like, I want to create like an opening title sequence with that's kind of has like a Bond intro sure. theme uh, vibe to it. And and Brian's wife Madeline actually animated that whole sequence, and oh, wow. uh, and also uh, was our compositor and animator on uh, the puppet sequence in 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 the movie. And um, but so when I was like, Brian, can you write a theme song? He was like, Yes, I'm going to take this melody, this leitmotif that I wrote a year ago the evil Patrick theme, but put it to lyrics or put lyrics to it and make it this, this bond esque theme song that Chloe sang. And so he over that basically from January, 2020 through May, 2021, Brian created all of these musical themes, like a, like a Charles theme, a Matt, the Matt theme first plays uh, in the, uh, in September, 2020 in okay. the Gonzo Blockbusters video when Matt moves out and leaves the city and seems to leave the show uh we always knew that he'd come back yeah um and so over this drone shot as Matt walks down the street in Brooklyn uh Brian created this Matt theme and so the finale or like like, like the, the the score from Night of the Coconut is basically Brian just knocking down dominoes that he's been setting up for a year and a half of just, like, theme after theme after theme. Like, I remember him saying to me, like, I don't think I wrote a single new theme for this movie because he, he'd already built all of them. And now suddenly, again, he created an entire feature film score that he produced entirely on his own. And I, I will say, there's... A couple songs in it, uh, one of which features vocals by Chloe and Matt, and one song that Chloe actually wrote and and performed that Brian produced. Um, But the rest of the music he did entirely on his own. And it is just, it's like paying off like, like it's paying out like a slot machine. It's, it's, and again, because like I didn't, I didn't know all the context of that, but like it's, what I could identify is that there was a level of craft behind something, which to be, I, I, I think I, I don't want to speak for any other films or anything like that, but like films, especially in the budgetary range of Night of the Coconut or, or, or sort of, um, just fuck you know what no fuck it i'll say literally any film because i'm just thinking back to like some mediocre film scores of like actual hollywood films right that level of care normally isn't there right 
and uh, the, the music in that way in a film score, you can get away. You can get away in a film with having it as an afterthought if that's not, like. But but it's it's the same thing. It's like it's equivalent to cooking, right? Like yeah, you can make a hamburger out of whatever ingredients you kind of want to fucking make one out of. But like, or you could make it out of the best fucking ingredients and layer them all in, and it's going to make the entirety of the experience of eating that hamburger better. The music in this in this film, in Night of the Coconut, I couldn't identify the flavor palettes that I was hearing if I'm going to mash all of my fucking analogies together, but, like, I knew it was complex, and it made me, like, dial in more. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I really appreciated that because it was something. It was something that I did not expect to latch onto, and I did. It's 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 w- so much better than you would think. Uh, the score for like a movie, like for a movie of this budget range, yeah. usually the score would be. I don't know. The director got a keyboard and just like <laughs> did some like tinkling on the keys, and John ma- Carpenter did. <laughs> I. Y- Exactly. I mean, like, like, but, but then it's like a, a worse John Carpenter because like John Car- John Carpenter's thing is like he started doing his scores because he was like, I don't know, it's cheaper if I do it myself. Then it's like, oh wait, John, you created this whole specific sound. I've seen is- him live. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. I, I, I want really want to go. I mean, I, I will say when going into the score, I was like, Brian, I wanted John Carpenter vibe to the yeah. soundtrack. I, 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 I was like, I don't want strings or horns. I mean, there's like tiny little bit sure. of string horns but i'm like i want synths yeah and uh and thankfully brian had recently gotten like a, some new like moog synthesizer he was, he was, he was <laughs> nice. like that's cool with me Done i'm, I'm gonna go wild but like it's a thing like even if you watch it again there's little things like like the the musical number that comes in at the end of act one there is a little part where uh like four scenes earlier um, Chloe has this little moment where this brief little piano melody plays for five seconds that teases the melody of the song she's going to sing like four scenes later. And then when you get to like the climactic sequence, which is one that was so difficult to shoot for like both uh, like mostly like logistical and scheduling reasons that I was actually pretty nervous about when I put the rough cut together, that I sent it to Brian. But apparently this this track almost crashed his iMac because of the <laughs> amount of, of layers in there. But this section of, of the score, it's like if you, like, when he, he uh, Brian, uh, his wife Madeline and I went out for dinner uh, this about this past Sunday just to, like, celebrate the movie yeah. being done. And Brian was explaining this, this that track to me. He's like, basically, it is, like, pretty much just, it is just, all of the themes for all the different things, like in a row, just like lined up. And he's like, I just put them all in a row and then put like connective tissue between them. It is like, it is the everything thematically paying off musically for the entire thing. And I was nervous about it going in. And then I got the track in, I dropped it in and went, Oh, never mind. We're good. Yeah. Uh, the, it, it all, <laughs> it's fine. It all works now. Brian, I, n- n- not to be like, I'm a hack and Brian like saved my ass. But like, because uh, the, the thing is, it's funny because I'm still getting used to working with a composer. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I would always just use like, oh, you just grab like you know, royalty free tracks and drop it all in. And the thing that about working with a composer is you re- and this has been an adjustment that I'm 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 getting more used to is you really have to get used to this thing of uh, 
knowing that like music is actually an essential part of like of the movie and of these scenes you like what i used to do is be like oh make the scenes work totally fine without music and then put the music in as like an extra spice it's like no you have to have a thing that like it feels incomplete without it Mm -hmm. you have to have a thing where you can trust that you can have like multiple shots without people talking that are just purely visual and then the music will go in there and complete those parts and when you watch it without the music it feels wrong yeah and so and this is fine and and I, i i'm like finally getting to the point where i can i can Put a cut. I, I can put a cut together for a scene and be like, I know this feels wrong now, but once we add that final, that final like ingredient to the mixture, it's gonna work. Yeah, it's trusting your process. It's trusting your team. It's trusting the, the yeah. And that that's something that I do think in literally any medium is learned. Like that's that's actually that leads me in to one of my one of my last questions. Yeah. So movie is done. As of the time of this recording, when people will be able to listen to it, you can go watch it on Nebula. I'm not going to tinker with it anymore. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. Um, But my question was, throughout this entire process, because obviously you're not done making shit. Of course you're not. What, What is one or some of the lessons that you learned along the way that you think you will you will not only take with you as you start making more content, more features, etc., but that like would be invaluable to a person making their first feature or trying to do anything along those lines. Like is there anything specifically that you learned that you could tell someone right now that would be helpful in that arena? Uh I Yes. I mean, if I, if I learned anything, it's that, oh, I can do it. Uh, as much as I did already mention that I made, like, you know, a trilogy of silly, like, like no-budget movies, like, in high school and stuff like that. And, uh, but with this, because the thing that I always say is, if if you would come to me a year ago. Yeah. Because a year ago is basically when we started on this. If you come to me a year ago and said, here is the same budget, go make a feature film. I would say, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to make a, a very small scale movie set in like a couple locations with like three characters and that's it. And instead, because we miscalculated the scale of this story, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of locations and a lot of characters and, and, and it's, it's, co- it's pretty complicated. Um, and it's, and we still managed to pull it off with, the really limited resources we had. So I was like, oh, I pulled this off. Honestly, you if I can get, like, double the budget or, 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 or more than that, like, I'm confident that I can make, get a movie, like, I I, I can make a movie now. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if we can get, like, you know, like, more of a crew so I can, like, delegate more things. And uh, so that was a big thing for me. But I will say, uh, in terms of, like, I don't know, advice to give people, I could... I could talk a lot about this. I will say, here's the most boring thing that I will say, but it saved my ass in such a huge way. Um, so it, there came a point in this where, again, scheduling this was so hard because, let me put it this way, it's a very complicated movie, feature-length film. Our two lead actors live four hours away from each other and uh, also have regular day jobs. And so this is like, they're in like every scene together. How do we shoot this? 
and we can't just do like I don't know every weekend we shoot one scene like how do we do this yeah and so finally it came to a point where I was like because I, I was also like producing the movie and organizing everything I was like I need help so I went to uh, my friend Frank James who like does like production coordinating stuff and d- 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 actually like has experience doing yeah these, and I was like can you please come in and help me just like figure out how to put this production together and his big thing, and I, I'm not going to underplay this, uh, but be, be like, oh, he, but like, what he did helped so enormously. He also helped us find like key locations and stuff like that. But I gave him the script, and uh, and he was like, first of all, go back and number every scene, and then give it back to me. Mm-hmm. And then I numbered every scene. There's 65 scenes in total. Um, I know those scenes by heart. Pick a number, and I'll tell you what scene. <laughs> um, but he then he created a spreadsheet which is every one of those scenes, but then organized by what location it's in, what characters are in what scene, like time of day, key props, and stuff like that. And so we were able to take that spreadsheet and break it into sections. And he basically figured out, like, okay, here are all the scenes that can like be shot in the same day, in the same place. Here is the actual shooting schedule, because when we got down to it, it we reached a point where... Matt was like, okay, I can take this. I can be in New York City for four days and take, it's like, like, he's like, I'll come down on Friday. Then I can shoot Saturday, Sunday. I'll take Monday and Tuesday off from work and do that. And so, so it became like, okay, how do we shoot Matt's entire role as the co-lead of a feature length movie in that time? And uh, and to be clear, there were other stuff like the, the, there were scenes set in like you know Saratoga Springs, yeah. the town that he lives in, and stuff like that. But uh, Frank's spreadsheet helped so much with that; it just it just made it all possible. And so, so yeah, so for doing a production, I'm sorry to give. I I, I wish I could give like inspiring creative advice, but but my advice is. Uh, number all your scenes and make a spreadsheet to figure out the most efficient uh, shooting schedule, and um, and that will save your sanity so much. I will even I'll even go a step further. I learned this uh, working back in my MTV days, uh, particularly with a wonderful production coordinator and production manager, Katie Schwartz. Uh, shout out to Katie; she's one of my uh, close friends. And, and who worked on a, a, a couple projects of mine that my first time whenever I worked on a thing with kind of a, I feel like the same lesson that you were just sort of saying like, um, oh no, you could do this if you just organize it this way. Oftentimes the way my brain works, I never did that. I never, and it's, and it's to be honest, I think this is safe to say, and I think she and maybe even some production coordinators would agree, it's not the sexiest part of filmmaking. No. But it is, it's what allows filmmaking to be sexy. Like it's like a weird it's a weird thing that you don't often think about that will make the director's job, literally the actors, everybody who is working on a thing, it will make it will elevate their craft entirely if you have someone dedicated to doing the thing that you've just described. And it's weird because you don't hear that a lot. I'm glad you brought it up because you don't like that's not something that people tend to talk about because it's not like like the most fun thing to talk about fucking spreadsheets. But the spreadsheets save your ass. Yes. Uh, uh, Frank also made a post-production spreadsheet that was able to keep us all organized in terms of like, okay, here's all of the scenes. Uh, which ones have like, 
Which ones need VFX shots? What are those VFX shots? Yeah. Uh, which uh, uh, color coded for once the scenes have like the edits locked and passed off to like the sound mixers and and stuff like that. Like, uh, also very very helpful because especially like when the scale of the project increases and you get to like a 90 minute movie, it is very easy for little things to slip through the cracks and be forgotten about. And this is a way for us to even keep things like, oh, little like 10 second cutaway gags that still have to be shot. Mm -hmm. Like that's a scene. How do we keep that organized? And like, oh, great. It can slot in into this day when we're at this location and we can like, I don't know, turn toward one wall and get it there because these people will be in the same yeah. physical space together. It's that kind of thing. And look, I mean, uh, yeah, like here is my, my whole philosophy of filmmaking. And, uh, I'm sorry, this will not sound too exciting, but, uh, but this is what I truly believe. And, uh, filmmaking is entirely about problem solving. Like when you get down to it, if you're going into a movie it is, it, you're going in saying, like, I want to tell this story or communicate this idea, and I have this these resources. I have this much time. I have this much budget. How do I use what I have to accomplish that task? It's a puzzle. It's just a puzzle. And all of these things, whether it's like – because then you're constantly confronted with new problems, and it's just like – same thing as, as, as like, like, okay, we have to finish shooting this scene, but the sun is setting and we only have 15 minutes of like actual like sunlight left, but we have this many shots to get. How do we suddenly on our feet change our plan to get this scene done so it accomplishes the same narrative purpose, but, but with like one shot instead of six? Mm -hmm. It is all like it's all this stuff. It's like it's knowing what you need and and what you have to work with and finding a way to solve that problem. And uh and that's what it's all about. And I have just been problem solving for the past year. Even things like like I was saying in the Q&A after after uh after the screening at the premiere, like I shot um like pick up reaction shots with Matt three weeks ago for a scene that was shot uh, nine months ago <laughs> um, because we're looking at the scene and it's like this is feeling disjointed. He doesn't feel like as like emotionally connected to what is happening in the scene as we need him to. But we also, because of scheduling reasons, had to shoot uh, his part on it, like, like even within the scene, all just the close up, like, like all of the original shots with him on a different day than everyone else, because he had to leave the city, uh, <laughs> uh, like the following morning, and so to make it feel correct, like, you know, months later, we just needed some extra shots to like be the glue to like, you know. Yeah. Stitch up like like to hold together the seams and make the scene function. It's just all problem solving, and uh, and this that's actually just what I like about filmmaking. It's the constant new challenge of, okay, I know what we have to accomplish. How are we gonna do it? Yeah. No, it is it is a certain kind of madness and magic 
when when you are working on a problem like that on any sort of uh, you know video film whatever in the moment, it's funny. Even the ones where I failed at, even the ones where I like haven't done it right, I really value. Like I look back at sort of those things, and I was like, but the but the process and sort of what I learned in that in that moment is kind of invaluable based on like on being able to either replicate or do it again or not fuck up. Like there, there's, there's so many things to be gleaned from that thinking on your feet, problem solving puzzle, puzzle, uh, you know, solving mentality of what making a film is. Um, it's really a thing where I don't want to, because you know, this is coming out like a couple days after the movie is out. And mm -hmm. so people will listen to this and haven't seen, it. I don't, I don't want to spoil stuff. I, I, it's even a thing where I, I, I want, do wonder, how much do I even want to give away? Actually, you know what? Once it's out, I'll talk. Like for a while, I'll talk about everything. Yeah, yeah. But, but but it's even. But I'm like, there are so many things I can point to in this movie. Little things that happened on set that were just like, why did this? Like, suddenly this issue came up, and here is like how we like adjusted like a line of dialogue or added a little thing there to uh, to simple things like. Oh, there's a no shoe policy in this room. How do we work around yeah, that yeah. when we're supposed to have a close up of, some, of someone's <laughs> uh, shoe clad feet? Yeah, yeah, and you figure it out. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, if, if it's not clear by now, uh, I am incredibly impressed with this movie. And look, we could, I know you don't want to, so we will not. Like, I could go into spoilers. I could go into all of the things that I really want to talk about. You can talk about all that stuff later. Uh, I could go into why the scene in the courthouse steps is my absolute favorite. No, it's not actually. Great scene. Uh, Great scene. But uh, there's, there's. Hey, uh, uh, the final full scene we shot in the whole movie. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I, did I know that? Maybe I knew that it, it was. It was we. the The main production was end late May twenty twenty one until late August twenty twenty one, and then in the fall, in like October, November, and December, we did. We would do like little like remaining kind of right. like isolated scenes, and um and that scene that you're referring to on the courthouse steps, uh was the. Final wow. full scene we shot in the movie. So, so you know, uh, full disclosure: if you can't tell what my 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 shit eating grin over the uh, over the audio medium that is podcasting, uh, I am in that scene. I say a thing, um, and uh, it it was it was really cool because again, I've gotten to know you over the last year. We've hung out a only few times. the last year. I know. I I haven't even known you for a full year. Oh shit! Well, I, again, time is. <laughs> Time is wonky uh, all over the place due to our good friend, the pandemic. But um, it's funny. Actually, oh, okay. So the, uh, you want to about the pandemic? Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the pandemic. No. Um, there are other cameos in the film. There, there are. Um, and uh, I knew about the some of the cameos or, 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 or the fact that there would be some cameos uh early on uh due to various reasons before i kind of knew you i knew that the i i knew your videos and i i knew uh that you were doing i a... believe before we'd actually met in yes, person yes you shot a cameo that is not actually in the finished right, movie right 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 so like uh and i was it's a shame because i will say it was a really good shot it's silly you you know why it got cut out yeah but uh, but it was one of those ones where I'm just like, I know it's got to go, but it's a bummer because it's a good shot. Here's the thing. 
I'm so happy that it worked out the way it did. Like, I'm I'm happy that the the piece the, the very tiny tiny piece of of me that's sort of in, involved in this gigantic project is after I got to actually like meet and get to know you. Like that thing that got cut, yeah, it's funny. Like it's like whatever, fuck it. Like yeah. cool, but like it's like oh, I'm doing this for this person whose YouTube videos are like cool. Like that's neat, but like. I don't know. It was very special for me to, after having you, I think that might have been after the first time you'd done the podcast and we'd hung out at a couple Nebula things or something. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, let, let me put it this way. I think, Matt, we first met in September. Uh, might have been. Oh, was it at uh, dinner? Uh, uh, actually, we first met at dinner. It might have been, it was either the very end of August or it was the very beginning of September. Okay. Uh, because then, like, shortly thereafter, th then we saw Shang-Chi, and then I did the podcast. That's right, that's but right. But it was dinner, the first one. But, but yeah, it had been, I, we'd, we'd, we knew each other, like, pretty well by, by the time you ended up at the movie, and it's, it's, I think it happened because we had been at dinner again the night before right. that, <laughs> and, and I was, I was like, oh, yeah, you, you want to come be in the scene? Yeah, yeah, it, it, so, so, my, my point being, it, I, I very much like that that's how it ended up, at least, uh, on my end of the spectrum, because I knew what it was at that point, I'd watched the videos, I knew sort of the, the, I've obviously learned more even in this conversation, but like what the movie sort of means to you and the group of people that actually crafted it and sort of behind it. And like, so I'm, I'm very thankful that the little tiny thing that I am in, I had the context before I went into it and it wasn't just a random thing that I shot for something I didn't understand. Exactly. Um, regardless, this, this film, everybody, in case you haven't noticed is, is quite wonderful. And you can see it right the fuck now, uh, thanks to the magic of time travel and recording times, uh, over on Nebula. Uh, you can go to watchnebula.com or you can download the Nebula app and you can use the promo code curiositystream.com slash Patrick H. Willems. And uh, and to you can sign up for a full year for it's fourteen seventy nine fourteen seventy nine or fourteen ninety seven. I always get those messed up in my reads. Uh, for if I do it in my extra credits voice, it's like for an entire year. Like there, there's there's you know there's there's a we could we could both do our pitches for fucking Curiosity Stream and Nebula at this point. Of course, I, I will say it's a good deal. It's a thing that it's not just that I'm like professionally involved yeah. in it. It's like. I can't, I honestly, and it's funny because like people do ask me, people that, that know me and know what I do, they're like, yeah, but like you don't fucking like really care. I'm like, no, like this deal, however uh, Standard and, and, and Dave and whomever got this thing sort of rolling is such a fucking good deal for streaming. If you like, uh, you know, either educational or now fucking narrative content, which we're breaking into, like the... I don't know. I, I feel I always feel very shilly. I feel silly and shilly talking about it, but it's actually something that I believe in. And the thing is, uh, it, it's a really good deal. And because, like, obviously, I mean, like, I think Nebula is worth it because uh, the video encoder is better than YouTube. Yep. And so, for instance, uh, because like I like I I really work hard on like the cinematography for my videos. I'm like. They look better on Nebula because the compression isn't as annoying as it is on, on, on YouTube. Also, no ads is cool, but, like, like so many people, like, I try to do it as much as I can, like, have, like, extended uh, videos with, mm -hmm. like, bonus material on Nebula. And there's just so much 
extra like exclusive stuff people make that, originals and everything yeah yeah exactly Even working titles like the little things like the small things too of like working titles is a series i think i've talked about out here before where like people talk about their favorite openings to television shows movies or video games yeah. like different creators um actually it's funny you bring up the, the better bit rate extra credits videos actually we, we figured it out at this point but people might have noticed this because we're sort of a staccato animation the yeah. way compression works that was doing weird bitrate things on spikes of things when there was actual movement. Bec ah. Because the bitrate of Nebula is higher than YouTube, it interacted with it in a weird, unexpected way. We've since fixed it. Right. But like when we were uploading stuff, people were like, hey, this is looking odd. And we're like, oh. And we had to like back and figure it out. So anyway, the 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 bonus of that is I've I've noticed that and engaged with it. Uh and it's pretty fucking cool. Um anyway, we It is. And and uh and I and I gotta say, you know, now that it's been such a joy, you know, making this for Nebula and like working with the whole team there. And uh, and I will say, look, it's it's public. It's on Twitter. Uh, Dave the agent. Uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave Whiskus. Dave Whiskus, CEO of Nebula. Uh, also third build cast member <laughs> in my movie. Uh, see, that's way to get to get the the suits on your side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just put them in the movie yeah. and put them on the poster. But um, but no, he did say. I will green light whatever you pitch next as long as we can do another premiere. And that premiere is the most fun I've had in years. Yep. And so I was like, you got it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm actually quite excited for not only the next things that you do narratively, uh, YouTube, Nebula, everywhere, but like on the Nebula side of things, I hope it kicks the door in a little bit for like more narrative content over there. I think yeah. it's going to, I think it's going to show uh, like a, a weirdly like a whole nother side of this cool thing that I like. So I, I will say a very funny thing is way back like uh, pre pandemic, I think late 29. Actually, yes, late 2019. I remember Dave, I think, called me up at the phone and was like, hey, would you want to make a short film for Nebula? That would be the first narrative project mm -hmm. on there. And I was like, yeah, totally. We can get a budget for a thing. And uh, they actually gave me the budget for it, and I was going to shoot this short film in April 2020. Okay. Um, <laughs> Gee, what happened? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't happen. Uh, and then eventually, and, and was like, there was supposed to be a narrative short film on Nebula. It would be like the first one uh, in probably out by like summer 2020. And then skip ahead. We actually ended up just like taking the budget for that and just rolling it yeah. into the budget for this. Uh but, but yeah, and then and then it, it took a bit longer, but I still ended up having the first narrative project on there. And I'm looking very much forward to Dave getting inundated with uh, more narrative pitches now that your thing again has sort of kicked that door down. I hope so. Yeah, I it's think a, it'll be really fun. It's again, it's, it's, I, I, I'm just like you know, I, I'm always happy anytime anyone adds like silly like narrative components to their videos and stuff like that i'm like yeah d d keep do it the hard way yeah. i like to do it <laughs> and uh and 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 yeah i mean that, that's the thing as much as you know nebula began as like thoughtful educational videos it can be a lot of things it can be that and other stuff like i i, I think the thing that's interesting in what <laughs> now i'm just blowing smoke it's just up a commercial yeah but no but I, I'll, let, I'll even back it up from from that side of things but uh nebula does share this 
education. This it's weird to sort of say this because I, I always wonder like how I should even bill extra credits at this point. It's education, but it's entertainment. The way you've sort of said it edutainment. is edutainment. Edutainment. I know, and I actually I actually don't hate the word edutainment. I, I it does get a lot of shit, and I kind of undulate back and forth. But right now, I, I, at this moment, better than infotainment. At yes, least. very much so. I don't mind the term edutainment at this current moment. Uh, that could change literally at any time, and I. It's such an odd balance of how to do things. And I think a lot of the folks, honestly, that are over on Nebula get that balance correct. Yes. Um, and so it's nice to sort of have that community. And and I think, I don't know, we all are always learning and learning from each other and trying to, I don't know. It's just, it's it's a really cool little thing. And we've, we've how do I, how do I sort of phrase this? I never knew how to do what I did until I did it and then learned from other people sort of in this group how to do it better. And I can't say, obviously I've learned from other people in other aspects of my professional life when I was working in television or whatever, but like it was never like this. There's something weird and cool about elevating edutainment that I feel like Nebula really fucking hits. And uh, I don't know. I, I, now, now I'm very much looking forward to seeing in the narrative space what 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 elevations we can do now that Night of the Coconut has fucking broke that goddamn barrier, and now we can start pitching Dave some fucking weird shit. Exactly. Next year, all pineapple movies. <laughs> Patrick, is there anything else that you would like to say about Night of the Coconut before we wrap this up as we finished our wine? Uh, on this, on this, oh. uh, the only podcast about movies. Oh, Matt, Matt finish off. Oh, no, wait, no. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, we'll both do it. We'll do one last, one last gulp. There was a little bit at the bottom. Yes. Um, anything else I would like to say? Uh, I will just say, you know, for anyone listening who is like a, you know, has been watching these videos for a long time and like, you know, maybe has, has watched the movie and has supported this. Um, I, I am like, I never anticipated uh ending up in this sort of spot in a career like <laughs> uh doing video essays but then those video essays turning into a very silly movie that we were given money to make with the same people I've been working with for like all practically 18 years uh it is not lost to me how strange this is but also how fortunate I am and uh and like sincerely like it, it like it means a lot to me that I'm allowed to do this and that people actually like watch and enjoy this and so thanks to anyone who watches and enjoys these things and uh we have no intention of slowing down there we go uh side note the, the the fans of your channel are very very cool like they're uh, nice people like they're really nice people that are interested in not only the the information that you give about film but also like the, the side narrative like again just I, I talked to a few of them at the premiere and like they're just they were so fucking psyched so anyway watch the night, night of the coconut you can do it right now it's very easy we've told you how um patrick when you are not making the first narrative feature film on uh the premiere streaming service nebula where can folks find you um well, I'm I, I I am still on the internet, uh, you know, social media platforms usually at at Patrick H Willems, and um, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> please please do not 
come to my home and track me down. That would be weird. That, that, that would be weird. We, trend, we tend to frown on that. That's yeah. why we give the digital information. You can, you can find me um, uh, <laughs> when, when I'm not being second to last credited in a wonderful feature film. You can find me over at my website, M-A-T-T-A-G-W-C-A-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN. And of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter because I don't know how to fucking properly brand myself. Um, Next week, Shahir might be back. We might talk about Jurassic Park. I don't even want to, man. Like, I if also, I also will you remember the movie by then? No, but I think that if if there is an episode after this about Jurassic Park Dominion, it will be about how a film like that can get made and enter and exit my mind so quickly. Like, it's not going to be about the movie. It's going to be about issues I see in in whatever system got that movie in front of my eyeballs. Yeah. And I don't know if that's interesting. I'm getting to a point that I'm, I'm kind of sick of, like, complaining. Like, I... I, 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 I also am. I, I Actually, so have you... I think you've done a Top Gun episode. Oh, yes, very much. Yeah, Top Gun, good movie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say Jurassic World Dominion and Top Gun are kind of very interesting counterpoints mm-hmm. in how, like, they are both, like, legacy sequels involving, like original cast of like you know popular classic movie and they and uh engage with these things in very different ways yeah and so i would i would say top gun maverick latches on it finds the thing that made top gun special to people and elevates it yes and jurassic world dominion might have known that but then just kind of ignores it and tries to like land on this weird nostalgia balance beam, but keeps falling off and smacking its head on the ground. Like it's it's a weird, it's weird, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, hopefully, maybe I'll talk about something fun. Actually, Patrick, what's coming out soon that you're psyched about? That I'm psyched about? Oh my god, I I keep forgetting what is coming out when. I know. All I know is like. Lightyear comes out Light, this week. Lightyear is actually probably actually out tonight, technically. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It is. I'm, I'm curious about Lightyear. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do Lightyear instead. It'll probably be be better. I'm like, uh, oh, Elvis is coming oh, out soon. That's it. When does that drop? Uh, June 21st. Okay, not quite yet. Oh no, that's pretty damn soon. That's I I might be able to swing an Elvis episode. I'm so fucking pumped for that movie. I I. I have heard it is deranged in both good ways and bad. That's what I want. That's what I want. Is I, it, it's going to give you stuff to talk about. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, everybody, we will talk at you next week. Until then, enjoy Night of the Coconut. Patrick, thank you so much for chatting. My pleasure. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.